0: Good morning. How are you this morning? It was spring break, wasn't it? Who's glad it's over? Anybody? Yeah, it it is springtime, and so I'm going to give you this forewarning about the message today. I should have given it to the first service, but but this happens about once a year. I'm on cold and allergy medication. Uh, So I had a choice to make this morning whether or not to take it, and my thought was I could either cough a lot into the microphone or have coherent thoughts. And I made the choice to try to cough less into the microphone. And after the first service, I'm not sure that that was the right choice to make. But but here we are. We're here in this place. And so so I'm going to try to track my notes as much as I can with this. But But I want to begin by saying this. The life of faith in Jesus is a life of stepping into the deep. It's a life of going where feet may fail. I say it because of this. His his primary intent is to make uh, you and me more like him, and he is so different than we are. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God says, my my thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are not like your ways. Like the heavens are higher than the earth. My thoughts are so much higher. My my ways are so much higher. We should expect that, that the transformation should be so distinctly different that there'll be so many times that he'll say, this is what I want you to do. In a relationship, maybe, or with finances, or work, or sexuality. We should expect it to, to feel like we're stepping into the deep and, and we'll drown unless He picks us up and, and carries us through the step He gives us. And so that should be the norm for us. And so if we're a follower of Jesus, we should be going through life consistently just asking, Where do you want me to step into the deep today? What is there about my life today that is not yet transformed into your likeness? And for me, there's, there's a whole lot of options for that, and maybe for you as well. But to consistently ask, where do you want me to step into the deep today? And again, relationships, finances, sexuality, work, play, you name it, it could be there. But today I want to focus on the fact that, that there will be times that, that the risk of following Jesus will be especially high. There'll be times that following Jesus that there there could be substantial cost to following him. That's part of stepping into the deep. It's like when the the water's not 10 feet deep, it feels like it's 1,000 feet deep. That the risk is greater, the cost could be very substantial. And the question then is, what do you and I do then? When when we feel his clear leading and guiding, we recognize the cost could be high, what do we do then? We've been in the book of Acts, and and we'll be there today. We'll be in Acts chapter 4. But I have to tell you a moment about Acts 3 so we can pick up in context with it. In in Acts 3, uh, Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven at least weeks prior to that, maybe a few months prior to that. And the apostles, in this case Peter and John, they're going to the temple in Jerusalem on that given day, and they pass this man that... Scripture says, has been lame from birth. We read later, he's, he was 40 years old, so 40 years he's been at that temple gate. They probably didn't know that. They weren't from, from Jerusalem. But the people of that city probably knew him well. Virtually every day for 40 years, this lame man there. So they see him there, and by the prompting of the Spirit of God and by the power of Jesus, they, they speak to him, and by the power of Jesus, he's healed. He can suddenly stand up on his feet, and he can walk, and he begins to... To jump and leap, and as you can only imagine, just thank God in the heavens for what's happened now. And so this crowd gathers around. Again, all of Jerusalem knew this man. This crowd gathers around, and Peter sees the opportunity to do the one thing Jesus told him to do. He said, Tell everyone about me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth, tell everyone about me. So Peter begins to tell the crowd about Jesus, very profoundly about Jesus. And the response we read is, is very significant. There are many people that, that hear him. They look at this man that now is, is leaping and praising God. And many people place their faith in Jesus on that day. Chapter 4 unfolds, and it says there were these religious leaders that get uh, one of the, the policemen of the day, at least one, to come with them. And, and they stop Peter and John, and they arrest them and throw them in jail for the evening. And the chapter unfolds, and the next morning comes, and they bring Peter and John before a man named Annas and another one named Caiaphas and the religious leaders. And the question posed to Peter and John, at first it seems quite neutral, quite innocent. They say, by what power did you heal this man? And so Peter just answers uh, very clearly. He says, and this is, you have to get the context. He says this out of love to them because they have to get it. He says, this, this Jesus that you crucified, he's risen from the dead. The one that, that you crucified, you know he was dead. He's risen from the dead, and he's the son of God. And in verse 12, then he says to them very profoundly, there is salvation in no one else. God's given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. He's saying to them, guys, all these centuries are people have been waiting for the Messiah. Jesus is that Messiah. He's offering this stunning good news to them, which they don't receive as good news, but they're taken aback by how bold Peter is to speak to them this way. They're the teachers. They're the experts. They're the power source. And so they they gather in a side room for a little while, and they discuss what to do, and they come back, and they say to Peter and John, they say, here's the deal, guys. By our power, we command you never again speak the name of Jesus. Never. A direct contradiction to what Jesus said. Jesus said, tell everyone about me. And now the power authority of religion is saying to them, never mention the name of Jesus again. And in chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, Peter very profoundly says, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. He understood that this was one of those times of stepping into the deep. He understood that, and, and I'll give you some background so maybe you and I can can understand it as thoroughly as possible as well. By the way, this is the, the first time that Christ followers were ever threatened in history. This was the first threat ever given. And the threat came from, it says very specifically in verse 6, from a man named Annas and a man named Caiaphas. And they were the high priest and the former high priest. And they were the the... The two powerful men who had passionately, in recent days, probably months, had passionately pushed the crucifixion of Jesus. It was their passion of Annas and Caiaphas that resulted in Jesus' death. If you look at the Scriptures carefully, maybe you'd recognize the name of Herod more prominently, but Herod, if you read Scriptures, he didn't care what happened to Jesus. He said, do what you want. He didn't care. Jesus didn't die because of Herod. You might recognize the name Pontius Pilate, and you might think he died because of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate actually tried to talk them out of crucifixion. In the end, would just wash his hands, literally wash his hands and say, this one's on you. Annas and Caius, they were the ones in just, just recent months, I mean, they were the, the passionate ones that had the power to crucify Jesus himself. And now they're the ones saying to Peter and John saying, don't mention his name again. It's not an empty threat, is it? It had to It had to turn their stomach upside down. If we go with Jesus, if we step into the deep, maybe the last step we take, these two, they had the power, they had the will. And Peter and John, if you could think with me about who they had been their entire lives up until now. Back again, probably a few months back, when Jesus was crucified, the night before the crucifixion, he's arrested in the garden, and Peter and John are there. And what do they do? They're scared, like you and I would be. They ran. And they ran that night. And that night, scriptures say again and again that Peter three times denied even knowing Jesus. The last time with curses, and that they were they were scared. They were frightened. And, um, fear ruled them. They were, they were slaves to fear. Fear determined their pathway. Their fear was greater than their faith. That's who they were. And so here the power of the planet, if you will, their little world of Jerusalem is speaking, saying, never speak the name of Jesus again, contrary to what Jesus had said. So what do they do? They, they go back to where the other Christ followers are, and and they begin to pray. And by the way, this is the longest recorded prayer in the book of Acts, which should tell us something. If God has this prayer recorded at this length, there must be something of great importance in it. And so I want to point out four key things that are important about this prayer to us today, about stepping into the deep. The first is this. It says that they prayed together. When you read that passage, they lifted up their voices together. There's some power about that, and I would never, never discourage anyone from praying alone to God. The bulk of my prayer is alone to God, but there's something different that happens when two or more that believe in Jesus pray together. I have had the great privilege this morning, as I have every Sunday, of praying with more than one set of people this morning. There's, there's some different dynamic when there are more than, more than one praying. So, the first takeaway is they, they prayed together. This was a case where stepping into the deep might cost them everything, their very lives. They prayed together. And then this is how the prayer began in Acts 4, verse 24. They began by saying, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. At their opening words, O sovereign Lord, and this was first written in the Greek language, and the Greek word that we translate sovereign. Is an unusual word to use there. Literally, it means all-powerful. They're they're saying to God, You have all power. Of course, God knows that. He doesn't need to be reminded, but they need to remind themselves. Uh, Annas and Caiaphas have spoken. I mean, they have the capacity, if God allows, to, to take the lives of these men. And, and they're just they're reminding themselves, saying to God, sovereign God, you have all power. And then they go on, you're the creator of, of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. And in their context, they're saying the entire universe you created. You're the, you're the creator of all of it and everything in them, including you're the creator of Annas and Caiaphas too, and us as well. What were they doing? They were remembering that God has all power. They've been given different commands, and they're just kind of sorting out, okay, This is the one that has all power. The one that gave us this command, he has all power. I can't help but think about what Paul would write decades later in Romans 8.31. He would say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Paul wasn't saying someone can't oppose us. He was saying in comparison to God, they're nothing. If God's for us, who can be against us? They're, They're remembering that God has all power. They continue on, verse 25 to 28. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through your ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, all were united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed, but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. What are they saying? They're, they're reminding themselves that God's not surprised by these current events. They're actually quoting Psalm 2. It was written a thousand years before. And they're saying Psalm 2 written a thousand years before has actually come true in our day. They're saying it just came true just a few months ago. So they're reminding themselves, God's not surprised by this event. It it wasn't a case, and this is really important for you and me to grasp this. It wasn't a case of Jesus saying to them right before he ascended, I want you to tell everyone about me starting in this city. And and so they begin to do that, and this day comes about, and and now the religious leaders have threatened Peter and John, and they have the power to kill him. And Jesus isn't in heaven saying, oh, no, I didn't see this coming. I felt only thought of this. Sorry, guys, you're in trouble now. It's not the case at all. Do you understand that? God's never caught off guard by the circumstances you find yourself in when you follow him. He's never caught off guard by that. Never. And that's what they're recognizing here, God. God, you knew in advance. You knew in advance that, that we'd we'd be given this challenge by the power structure of this religion and the city you you knew that in advance, they're so remembering that God's not surprised by current circumstances, and so after they've remembered the power of God, and that he's not surprised by this, then, then in verse twenty nine and thirty then, then they come to their request and now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants what what do they pray for protection that's a good thing, isn't it? Now, I pray for protection many, many times. That's a God-honoring prayer. Or safety. Similarly, that's a good thing. I pray many, many times. God honors those prayers. Please give us safety. Or maybe power or success or victory. Give us, your servants, one of those things, but that's not what they pray. 29, and now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. They pray for boldness first. The first time I read that, which was three decades ago, I couldn't believe it. I, I got it. Their lives are being threatened. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. You're not praying for safety? You're not praying to strike them with lightning and kill them, take them out? They're praying for boldness first. First. Uh, maybe later on they prayed for safety and protection. Those are God-honoring things. They really are. But, but they prayed for boldness first. And that, that has, that continues to alter the way I think and pray. When God is calling you to step into the deep where feet may fail, and you realize that the risk may be unusually high and the cost may be substantial, the, the lesson here is pray for boldness first. You You're praying to the one with all power, the one who's not caught off guard by circumstances, pray for boldness first. And then they go on, their final request is, give us boldness to preach your word, stretch out your hand with healing power, may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. I say, when we go out with boldness, then show up. Don't let it just be our human words, show up in a way that people recognize that, that you're behind these words, you authenticate these words. And then verse 31, here's the response of God to this kind of prayer. After this prayer, the meeting place shook they were all filled with the Holy Spirit then they preached the word of God with boldness the meeting place shook and it carries me back to Exodus nineteen eighteen, and it would carry them back because they would know this better than I would know it but in Exodus 19 18 it's back in the days of Moses and Moses is on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and God shows his presence by shaking the entire mountain his affirmation saying Moses you're here where I want you to be this is my affirmation and so they pray this prayer, and God, God physically says to them, I, I affirm this prayer. I, I will answer this prayer. I will give you that kind of boldness. And it ends by saying in verse 31, After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with great boldness. When God calls you into the deep and the risk is high, this is what he would call us to do. I, I've been privileged to get to do life with and walk with a number of people who have great boldness, who they, they've uh, stared risk in the eye, they, they've stared perhaps a high cost in the eye, and they've stepped forward with great boldness. And in a moment, I want to invite three of those friends up on stage, but I need to give you some background setting before I invite them up. And, and it's this. If you've been at the harbor for years, then you know from time to time, well, let me back up. You know that we believe that everything God does is out of love for us. Everything he directs us to is to our best. Maybe not the easiest or the pain free, but it is to our best, we believe that. And so every every direction, every command God gives, we believe it's out of deep love and we believe it will give the best life to us. We deeply believe that. Now, sometimes living that way is so hard and so puzzling, but we deeply believe that. And so from time to time, We'll talk here about God's commands about sexuality. And we teach what the Bible says is that sexual expression between a husband and a wife in marriage is, is profoundly beautiful in God's eyes. But any sexual expression outside of that is a sin, which means it does damage. So God says, don't go there. And so we teach that consistently because we believe that God always teaches in love and, love and gives us the best life. And that applies to whether someone has other sex attraction or heterosexual or same sex attraction, homosexual attraction. It, it it covers both equally then. And so, a number of years back, we became acquainted with the ministry in the Dallas Fort Worth area called Living Hope Ministry. It's a ministry that that uh, is in place for those that experience same sex attraction but want to know and follow Jesus. And want his direction and power to live obediently. Like to step into the deep with their sexuality. Just like someone with opposite sex sex attraction would do the very same thing. And as we got to know this ministry very closely down through the years. We saw this profound effect upon so many people. That experienced same sex attraction. And we began to yearn for it to be in Houston. Because there's nothing approaching like it in Houston. And began to pray about that. And the outcome was that God led the harbor to uh, be the lead to bring that ministry to Houston. And so the three people I'm going to invite up have had something to do with, with that. And so give a great harbor welcome to Bob Boone, Chris, and Jen Ward, if you will. I'll, I'll give a little bit of uh, brief background on these three. Uh, Bob and his wife Ginger have been founding members of the harbor, uh, In fact, our very first worship service was in your living room, and uh, Bob and Ginger have been board members of the church the entire run as well, and so he's, in essence, representing the board about the process that uh, led to us being part of this. And then uh, Chris and Jen, Chris is the pastor of Living Hope Houston, and Jen is the director of women's ministry of Living Hope Houston, and so that's why they're on stage. And so I want to ask them some questions that would give you insight. And, and as I do this, think about what it means, what it looks like, when Jesus gives you a hard calling, and and it may cost you, and the risk may be high. And your calling may be very different than what we'll talk about here, but there should be a, a clear application in your lives as well. Uh, so Bob, I know this is going to help if you just take us back and give us a sense of, of how the Harbor Board makes a decision about any possibility of a new ministry? How do we make that choice? Yeah,
1: so from the beginning, we set up this grid that we made all our decisions through. And the first question was, is this consistent with our mission, which is to introduce people to Jesus Christ and help them become fully devoted followers of him? Second was, does it meet a community need? Third was, do we have an impassioned leader? And by impassioned leader, I mean... Some, a leader who is passionate about the ministry, but also has the spiritual gift of leadership from God. And fourth is it costs money, so it needs funding. And the fifth is um, how the board makes the final decision. So, and again, from the beginning, we just felt that God speaks consistently to those who come to him in humility and ask and listen. And so we thought that, um, and it's, it's panned out that if we just pray and talk among each other long enough, we will come to a unanimous consensus, mm-hmm. yes or no. Mm-hmm. And that's happened every time, and it, wor- it works well for us. And,
0: and so that was the process and the grid of the board making this decision about Living Hope Ministry. I think it will be important for us to, to ponder just briefly uh, the risks that would be in play for any church that would take a lead in this.
1: Yeah, so this is clearly probably the most controversial and emotionally charged issue of our day. Um, So we could expect risk of just reflexly being called homophobic, uh, hypocritic, Mm -hmm. uh, judgmental. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, dealing with the soundbite media of today... I think we're at a risk of having our beliefs, our values, and what we say misrepresented or even Mm -hmm. twisted. Mm -hmm. And third, I think that anyone who looks even slightly opposed or critical of these issues um, can experience uh, intense media pressure, Mm -hmm. militant attacks, and uh, legal action.
0: Mm -hmm. The the risks are very real to any church that would take this on. And so the board spent ample time... uh, looking those risks squarely in the eye, and yet still made the decision to go forward. Help us understand um, how and why the board made that yes decision.
1: Yeah, so this is about two and a half years ago, and we started uh, praying and talking about that. And, uh, you know, a little more context. The board is the group that is charged with guarding, protecting, guiding the church as well as praying hard for the church, and serving and supporting the leadership, including the staff and the and the volunteers. Mm-hmm. But this guiding and protecting thing, we are all going to stand one day before God and take responsibility for the decisions we made. You, the rest of you are off, okay? <laughs> and so I say don't, that. Don't get on the board. Yeah. I say this in the context that i I'm we all believed, and I still absolutely believe, this is the most uh, risky decision that we've ever mm-hmm. made so far. Yes, and uh, we've made some big ones. We've risked a lot of money. We've risked a lot of stuff. But this one is really big. So um, it, very quickly, though, it became, we gelled and we felt that, yeah, this was God calling us to do this. And, uh, but it's such a risk that we spent six months In prayer and fasting and having discussions. And after six months, we just had clear, unanimous consent Mm -hmm. that God was calling us to be involved in starting this ministry. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, even initially, it met our mission uh, statement. And um, as far as a need for the community, um, you know, Houston has the second greatest. A population of gays in uh, the country mm-hmm. and um, there are no ministries here that are, none that we know about that are helping people who are struggling with same-sex attraction or their families in that struggle mm-hmm. and God's voice needs to be heard in that mm-hmm. struggle mm-hmm. so yes. uh, when we after so we made the decision after about six months, and then we spent a whole year praying for God to provide the impassioned leadership and the and the funding, which came in the form of the wards, as mm-hmm. impassioned leaders who have done a great job, and then a a uh, donor from outside our church gave the money, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we were in we were launching. Mm-hmm. Um, are there and it's gone great? Are there real still risk? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anytime you're doing God's work in this dark world, you're going to have pushback. You're going to have risks just like the first church. And, you know, we got a great model to go by. I mean, just like Peter said, somebody pushes back on us. We just look them in the eye and say, do you think God wants us to serve you Mm -hmm. instead of him? Yes. Yes. We can't stop talking about what we're seeing and hearing.
0: Yeah. I know I will never forget that season because the board looked so so honestly at the very real risk that uh, continue to this day. But not a single person flinched ever. The, the entire look was, if God leads, we'll do it no matter what. And uh, it, it, I think in that moment... Um, I was as proud as I've ever been to be surrounded by people get to be part of a group that has that kind of courage, no matter what the cost. Uh, if God leads, we'll, we'll do such as that. So uh, thank you for giving us the insight into that window of it. Chris and Jen, you guys took on some very personal risk by coming in the capacity that you came. Give us a, just a snapshot of what some of those risks sure. are.
2: Uh, well, as you know, uh, when God began to call us and lead us to come here and begin to lead uh, this ministry, we were living in the country of Haiti, and um, living in the country of Haiti as missionaries is kind of a risky thing to do in and of itself. Uh, there's, there's sickness and disease. There's violence. Uh, the, the Haitian government um, is, is a volatile thing at times. Haiti can be a, a very dark spiritual place in many areas. Um, and we knew that, and we, and we lived and we walked through that. But the truth is that following God's leading to come here and to join the staff of the harbor and to lead this ministry was as much of a risk, we believe, as living in Haiti was. For, for many reasons, we understand that the, the subject matter Itself is fueled with uh, emotions on both sides. Uh, There are, uh, uh, well, the topic itself is the most divisive topic, I think, in our culture today. And uh, we know there are hate crimes against LGBTQ community people. And there's um, also um, persecution against churches and Christians. And um, and so there's a lot of back and forth, and we knew that uh, we could no longer, as we have done for years and years and years on social media, we could no longer safely communicate what was going on in our lives, um, and we had no certainty that this ministry would succeed here. Uh, we had no certainty that the harbor would continue to support the ministry if things got difficult.
3: Mm-hmm. We were also very cautious from that point on that we would be misunderstood, mischaracterized, and that we could lose friends or be avoided by some. Mm -hmm. Um, We also knew that we would probably face the deepest spiritual warfare of our lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, we knew that sexual temptation and the purity of our marriage would be tested more than ever as we would spend countless hours in conversations about very intimate, twisted dark things that go on in the world
2: things that are very hard to hear Uh, we had a good idea that we were about to step into the battle of our lives in many respects and and without the power and without the direction and the strength and the blessing of the Lord this risk we were taking really could turn into a mess Um, and so
0: we were We were prepared for that we saw that coming possibly in fact all those risks have come true Mm -hmm. every single thing you mentioned has been a reality for you guys Mm -hmm. uh, yet you stepped in knowing that going Mm -hmm. in there's risk not only for for you there's risk for anyone who would want to become part of living hope ministry and we've had so many that have become part of it and in reality they've become my heroes because of the courage that they have to step Mm -hmm. in because of the risk it's there, but Living Hope has had wisdom to take great steps to mitigate or to lessen the risk of someone who wants to be part of this ministry. Give us a picture of that as well. Sure. Living Hope ministry has been around for
2: over 28 years, and um, through those years, they have learned uh, some ways to be very protective of this ministry, of, of individuals and families that have come for, for help and for hope. Our goal is that people who come to us for help can be as anonymous as they want to be, as anonymous as they need to be. We're very protective of our people. We're very protective of our weekly support meetings. Uh, And we place great value on the anonymity of the whole ministry. Uh, We meet with everyone one-on-one before we ever invite them to join us for a support meeting. Even the time and the location of our meetings is not something that we make to the public, available
0: to the public. Yes. So Living Hope Houston has uh, just celebrated its first anniversary in existence. So what have we seen in the past year?
3: Oh, it, it has been our deep honor and joy to have met and been trusted with over 80 precious people's stories. From the greater Houston area, even as far as 100 miles, Um, Friends and families, men and women, that have come seeking help and hope. Mm -hmm.
2: We've watched truth uh, permeate the lies that this world promotes. And and we've seen individuals begin to find help and hope through uh, Christ Jesus. And begin to feel no shame Mm -hmm. in drawing near to Christ and allowing Him to deal with their unwanted same-sex attraction. We've watched individuals that have been in the gay lifestyle um, receive freedom from the Lord Mm -hmm. and uh, strength to begin to pull away from that lifestyle and follow Jesus in the area of sexual wholeness, in the area of of biblical sexual purity. And when they uh, begin to do that, we see them experience increasing peace and joy Mm -hmm. in their lives.
3: We've seen families that were so far divided that they couldn't even be in the same room together. Mm. Um, we've watched them begin to build bridges of unconditional love, come together and look past the hurt, and find a living hope.
0: Mm. Yeah, Marie and I have gotten a little glimpse of, of the gatherings, and we have this profound sense of it's, it's sacred ground because people come open and humble mm-hmm. and, and simply say to Christ... Um, how do you want me to live this out and help me do so with mm-hmm. it? Um, I think it's important for, for me to say one more time, uh, we believe every leading of Christ is out of love, and his way is the best way for each of us. And that's, that's why uh, this ministry is in place now. Um, I, I'm, I'm so deeply grateful I get to, to be around, be friends with, get to serve beside people mm. that, that will stare down the risk and stare down some very real costs that could yet still happen, Mm -hmm. and yet be willing to step into the deep. And so I want to thank you, Bob, and you, Chris Mm -hmm. and Jen. Can we as a church thank them for taking the time Mm -hmm. to share this? Yeah. Thank you very, very much. This is, I think, let me say a word about this ministry. Then I want to broaden this to to touch all of us about where we may be in following Christ. Uh, I suspect there's not a one of us in this room that either, either doesn't experience same sex attraction or no one loves someone that does, uh, family or friends or coworker or classmate or neighbor. And so I think that's probably the case. So, so Chris and Jen have agreed to be in the lobby on the left hand side. They have some information for anyone that just wants more information about Living Hope. And whether it be for you or a family member or a friend or coworker or just because you're a follower of Jesus and you believe that Jesus' way is always the best way and his way of sexual purity for all of us is his best way as well, then I would invite you to stop by the, the table on the way out. The, the broader context of this is that um, if you're a follower of Jesus, now or sometime soon, He'll be calling you to take a step that will be a higher risk step. It'll be a higher cost step. Uh, The the question is, what will you do about it? When I look at the book of Acts, we began in chapter 4. From chapter 4 to the end, there are 25 chapters. 22 of the 25 are about persecution. This is just what we should should expect. And so I would would ask you, maybe even in this time, you, you know. You know what that higher risk step into the deep is. And, and I would ask you what your response will be. Or, or maybe you don't know what it is now, but, but you need to be aware of it's coming, it's coming. And I want to re- remind you of this, is, is this is what the church did. Originally, the church prayed together. When the risk is high and the cost could be great, the church prayed together. And, and the church in their prayer, they remembered that God is the one with all power. Whatever else you or I might worry about that might happen, that's not the final say. God is one with all power. And whatever circumstance we find ourselves in as we follow God into the deep, God will not be surprised by it. He's fully aware of of every circumstance we will encounter. And what the first church did was, their first prayer was for boldness. And I would encourage that of you when you know God's saying, step into the deep, is make your first prayer, give me boldness. I know you have all power. I know you're not surprised by what I'm encountering in this. Would you give me boldness to continue stepping into the deep? Give me boldness to step into the deep. There's a a song that is titled Ships, and there are two lines in it that say, uh, Ships are safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are for. And, And this place we call the harbor And some of you have, this very day, you have shirts on on the back in in bold letters. It says, restore, refuel, and return. And and there's this message to us as ones who would follow Jesus that we do come here to be restored. We do come here to, to hear God's word and to have time to worship and to be restored more into the image of Jesus. We do come here to be refueled when we're tired and worn, but we're not meant to stay here. And we're meant to return to daily life with Jesus at the middle, at the very center of our daily life and step into the deep. That's what we're made for is to, is to return to this daily life. And, and the, the, greatest, the greatest enemy that we often have is fear itself. And so we're going to have a chance to pray together in a way that may be different for you and fresh for you. We're going to have a chance to, to pray But it's going to be a song of prayer, Uh, one a number of you know and deeply love and resonate with called No Longer Slaves. And as we have the chance to uh, lift our hearts and minds in prayer to God collectively with this, have in mind that maybe for you and me, maybe our greatest enemy is fear, and make the declaration that because of Christ, you'll no longer be a slave to fear. And, and uh, between the stanzas, whisper the prayer, make me bold. That wherever the, the ask is, the, wherever the into the deep is, if it's in a relationship that's so broken, and you're calling me to be love so radically, forgive so radically. If it's in the area of sexuality and purity, to live out a life as Jesus would lead us there. If it's in the area of finances and, and a matter of God saying, here's this stunning generosity. If it's in the workplace, if He's saying, I want you to do your work different, or maybe some here, I want you to do a different work. Maybe the bold step into deep is even in your play. Because He wants our play to be wholesome and, and recreational play that recreates us in His image. But this is our chance to pray collectively and, and say to him, I'm no longer a slave to fear. If you lead, I don't care how deep the water is, how high the risk is, how much the cost could be, I'm going there. I'm going there. Father in heaven, I pray that um, we might realize that a frightened church. I'm sorry, a frightened world, needs a fearless church. Let that soak in for us, Father. A frightened world needs a fearless church. Uh, May this be our declaration that by your power and by your strength and by what you do in the collectiveness of Christ's followers, may this become increasingly the reality for us now, today. That wherever our fears may lie in following you, wherever we have hesitated, wherever we have held back, may this be our declaration that uh, fear will no longer reign, but boldness will as we follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.